What's up, everyone? This is Hannah with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. I am a physical therapist here in Charleston, and I am the new host of this podcast. This podcast is meant to give you the correct health and fitness information, along with spreading awareness of all of the different health and fitness professionals here in Charleston. I love being able to use this podcast as a way to meet all of those around me that are trying to make the world a better place. And my mission as a PT is to educate people and to empower them to take ownership and control of their health. This is season three of the podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Healthy Charleston. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This is Dr. Hannah Briel, your host of the Healthy Charleston Podcast. On today's show, we have Anna Gallup, an occupational therapist, owner of Motion in Motherhood, and a certified breastfeeding specialist. As an OT, Anna works in pediatrics, and by going into patients' homes, she realized that something was missing. Anna saw a gap in how our healthcare system supports moms, so she created her own business to fill that gap. Motion in Motherhood aims to help moms feel confident, supported, and empowered both during and after pregnancy. Creating something like this was always Anna's dream, but when COVID hit, she took full advantage of her time off and she started planning. We discussed postpartum depression and anxiety, breastfeeding, stress management, and cultural differences around pregnancy and giving birth. If you or someone you know is a mom and you need more support, reach out to Anna Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Healthy Charleston Podcast. Today's special guest is Anna Gallup, an occupational therapist, owner of Motion and Motherhood, and a certified breastfeeding specialist. Anna, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, even though you had a lot of traffic getting here, 26 was closed. That sounds horrendous, but thank you for coming. Thank you. Excited to learn more about what you do. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about Motion and Motherhood. So Motion and Motherhood is um, a holistic prenatal and postpartum service for expectant and new moms. Um, And we really focus on the whole family dynamic, mom's transition into motherhood and what that looks physically, emotionally, you know, hormonally, all of the things. We tie it together and package up several different services um, including like, pain prevention and alleviation, lactation and feeding support, um, return to meaningful routines and tasks. So, you know, it could be return to intimacy, return to work, whatever is important for mom. We help her to be able to do that confidently and uh, as pain-free as possible. So what got you started in this? My background is in pediatrics, and time and time again, I was going into homes doing early intervention work, And there were all these resources available for the kids, which was fantastic, but the moms were so overwhelmed and burnt out and anxious, and there was just no one there to support them. Um, And then, you know, doing that over and over again, and combined with my passion for women's health, I kind of put this together and synthesized, you know, motion and motherhood to help (laughs) kind of, you know, support moms in their journey into the postpartum period. So you've been an OT for, you said five? Almost five years, yeah. Okay. So you were 
going into all of these homes, treating the kids and starting to realize that the moms needed a lot of this help too and they weren't getting it. Yeah. Why do you feel like this is such a missing piece? That's an interesting question. I think that we're so focused on birth and there's a lot of new like decreased intervention, you know, we're moving towards a more holistic natural birth movement, I think, um, with decreased medical intervention. And so I think people are really focused on that and then just roll into postpartum and people aren't really talking about it. And so it's kind of a catch 22. If you're not talking about it, then you're not Mm -hmm. asking for assistance and no one's looking out for it. Um, but everyone struggles, even if you have a you know, quote unquote, perfect birth experience, no complications, everything's going well, you have family support. It's still a really hard time. Yeah. I was looking, um, on your, like your Instagram and your website and you made a point to note that people think that they can just go back to normal, but like, this is such a huge change having a baby, especially the first baby, like everything has changed. You shouldn't need to go back to normal because now everything has changed. And I think, postpartum time is almost kind of like shied away from we don't really talk about it like I think a lot of people a lot of women feel shameful about things that they feel during that time and I like the new movement kind of with you and like other women's health postpartum therapists is it doesn't end with birth it doesn't end at nine months because this postpartum period is 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 huge for the mom the family and the baby so how long did it take for you to see all this to then think like, oh, I want to, I want to do this. I want to start this. Um, it started as an idea. And for a couple of years, I was trying to figure out exactly what angle I wanted to go in. I knew I wanted to do kind of postpartum women's health, but I didn't know that as an occupational therapist, that it was even possible mm-hmm. to work in that space. And so luckily during the pandemic, one of the great things that came out of it is I happened to connect with someone who pointed me in the direction of some other OTs that are kind of pioneering this space as well. And then they pointed me to, you know, certifications and different ways I could structure my practice. And so it all kind of snowballed and came together at the beginning of the pandemic. The beginning of the pandemic. (laughs) Wow. What a time. So you mentioned before that this was always kind of a dream, Mm -hmm. but you expected it to be like. 10 years down the line and you actually opened in July. Yes. So it happened pretty quickly. It did. It came together pretty quickly. Once I had some guidance of how I could put this together, I knew exactly what I wanted to do and I just kind of put my head down and went for it. So you had someone that was like a business coach, kind of like a mentor that you had a lot of time too, right? With the pandemic. And then you also, you mentioned, so the breastfeeding specialist certification, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? It's a um, 90-hour certification, and to become a lactation consultant, which is kind of the gold standard of lactation services, you need to have at least 90 hours of didactic, like, educational work, and then a 1,000 hours of hands-on experience, and so that is part of that. A 1,000? A 1,000 hours of hands-on. hands-on experience with what? Breastfeeding? Breastfeeding. Is that easy to get? Like, no, hey, you some... have five years to do it. Okay. So <laughs> did you, I was like, you didn't already get that. Did no, you? I'm working on it. I'm yeah. working towards it. Um, so, you know, I love doing that work. And luckily as OTs, we're able to do it and incorporate it within our own practice. There are some, you know, if you were to come from a non-health-based mm-hmm. position, you would need to basically hire someone or go to school and able to get that. Um, but it's framed into my practice and I do it, you know, just through the business that I'm already running. And so... 
working towards that. What are you at? Um, it's been slim. It's yeah. <laughs> slow to start. People don't want you helping them breastfeed during a pandemic? What do you, you mean? <laughs> the hands-on is a little tricky during a pandemic, but... Like, know. how hands-on are we talking? You know, I think virtual support probably counts, okay. but... Um, you know, it's so much better if possible. A lot mm-hmm. of this work can be done virtually, but it's just so much better in person to be able to, you know, see babies latch and hear the clicking sounds if there are any. And like they're even even their swallow and breathe coordination, you know, getting all of that in person is so much easier. <laughs> do you get a lot of this knowledge in OT school? No, okay. none of it. So we do a lot of um, feeding in OT and in pediatrics, I do a ton of infant feeding and sensory and oral motor work, and but we never learn breastfeeding, and it's so secondary. It's so second nature to what we're already doing, and even during this certification course, they're saying, oh, sensory processing and, like, you know, regulating your nervous system and the stuff that I'm doing every single day, but we don't get breastfeeding. We get bottle feeding, a little bit of it in OT school, hmm. and then the rest is just up to you to pick up so you had to go out and get a lot of this like knowledge and experience yourself yes so you work in pediatrics right Mm -hmm. and then obviously with moms new moms what do you feel like was the reason that you wanted to work in pediatrics um for me it was always very natural um I didn't have to work at it in terms of like go home and really plan out my whole next day. It's very intuitive and logical for me. And I just like playing with the kids. I think it's fun and light and um, challenges me in a different way. Um, In school, I was doing uh, inpatient rehab and it was, it was hard for me. Like it was just not natural. I was always Mm -hmm. pushing myself to do more and, um, and peace just comes really naturally and it's fun and light and, I feel the exact opposite. (laughs) Kids, I'm like, how do I make this a game? I'm like, why does it need to be a game? Um, Were you always into, like, babysitting and things like that? Mm -hmm. I I was thinking about it today, like, before we started talking, and I had a job in high school. Like, my senior year, I would babysit, like, every day in the afternoon, and then I would go work at this frozen yogurt place called Sweet Frog. And I remember being so excited to go to Sweet Frog, but like counting down the hours of babysitting and just like (laughs) wishing I could take a nap. So um, it makes sense why I didn't go into peds, I guess. So what drove you? You mentioned you have this passion for women's health. Mm -hmm. Where do you feel like that started? I don't know. That's always been something that I've been really interested in. I almost became a midwife and I did the OT route instead. And there's a lot of similarities in the two, actually, if you like mm. dig in terms of like patient care and holistic models and um, kind of lifespan development kind of stuff. And so I just, it was came down to, honestly, I was on call shadowing a midwife and I missed the birth. <laughs> I like got out of bed at two in the morning and went to the hospital and oh, completely man. missed the birth. And I was, I think, 18 at the time. And I was thinking, I don't know that this is exactly how I want the rest of my life to go. And mm-hmm it came down to really I I wasn't yeah I wasn't able to plan at 18 that for the rest of my life and so um, I went the OT route but even in that I've always been trying to look for a maternal health kind Mm -hmm. of thing and it's definitely it's emerging but we're on the very front of the wave like there's a long way to go oh for sure but I do feel like it's emerging and it's excited to be it's exciting to be like the pioneer of that like you Mm -hmm. mentioned there's some OTs that are pioneering that and like you're definitely part of that too. And I think in a few years, 
it'll be so much more common. Just like five years ago, cash-based practices weren't really a thing. Yeah. So, okay, go back. So midwife. Yeah. You were 18? Yes. Were you in college? I think so. Yeah. 18, 19. So you were shadowing to become a midwife when you were in college? Yeah. To see if I wanted to do that. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I was shadowing and I loved the, uh, office side of it in terms of like patient visits and patient care. And I was all, all about it and then missed the birth and, <laughs> and you're like, that <laughs> was like, it for me. No. Yeah. What do you <laughs> exactly. feel like made you think you're even like consider being a midwife? This was not something that I considered was an option. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I was, I don't even remember what book it was. I was reading a book when I was maybe 12 at the beach or something. And it had the word midwife in it. One of the characters was a mm-hmm. midwife. And I said, mom, what is this? And she told me what a midwife was. And I was like, yeah, I think I want to do that. And you know, most people kind of shy away from birth. They like, no, <laughs> yes. don't want to do that. Yeah. That's exactly what most people didn't want to do. But you know, in high school in anatomy, the birth videos that they'd make you watch. I was all about that. You and loved them? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get enough. And all the kids were like hiding their eyes and their face and they did not like it. And I was in the front row like, can we watch that again? I just think it's oh, so cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like from the time when you were a child. Yeah. How did your mother describe what a midwife was? Um, what is a midwife? That's, that's the real question. question here. Yeah. So it's an advanced nursing specialization okay. and it's someone who typically works in a more holistic way and they really take into account the patient's environment and support and typically do more natural intervention or decreased intervention, natural birth. Um, Of course, this changes depending on where they're working, Mm -hmm. but in some states they can also do home births. Um, And so to me, it was just really cool to be able to do things more naturally and authentically the way our bodies were designed to do it and functionally. What do you feel like are the differences? So midwife, like you would have had to go to nursing school and then it's like a specialization on top of that. Yeah. You mentioned doing things naturally, like doing things holistically. What do you feel like is the difference between maybe like a traditional birth and a, a birth via a midwife? Um, again, I think it depends probably on the setting that you're in because some work in hospitals, some work in clinics, some do home birth. Um, but I think... You know, utilizing your body mechanics for pushing and for labor. You know, typically in, you see people on their back with their legs up, and that's not facilitating. That's not using gravity, first of all, and it's right. not facilitating oh, wow. your body mechanics. Um, so, a lot of adaptive kind of interventions, like on a ball or standing or squatting, um, and then you know, sometimes water births can help facilitate that so really it's not exactly my area of specialty right, yeah <laughs> and like that I didn't go that route but um I still think it's fascinating and really cool because I feel like it's something that you see in tv shows and movies but mm-hmm. I don't really know anyone in real life that does it um yeah. so it's cool to know that that is like a very needed profession and it's not just like oh I'm a midwife it's like no you went to school for this and like you're a nurse and then you become specialized yeah so obviously you chose OT route yeah. what makes you feel like what part of OT makes you so like well designed to work with these moms one of the things that OTs are I think kind of unique in their scope is that we are 
educated on taking tasks and breaking them down into components and then building them back up with regard to the person's physical ability, their mental state, their support system, their physical environment. Um, and so I use that a lot, especially, you know, posture modification when breastfeeding and how can we build up pillows that you already have on your couch to help with posture during, again, breastfeeding or um, adapting your space, lifting your changing table so that you have the correct body mechanics. Um, and then if things aren't uh, working the way that you're wanting to, or you're not able to achieve certain goals, whether it's self-care or, um, you know, managing a household with a toddler or whatever it is, um, we can break that down and find ways that are realistic to work into your daily routine to be able to get you on a path to be able to do that. So it's a lot of it is like coaching, like behavior change coaching for specifically new moms. Yeah. And I'm always using the mom's goals. It's never what mm-hmm. I want mom to do. It's what does mom want to do? What's meaningful and important that she is able to do as independently as possible? And I facilitate that. So it's a lot of teaching you how to do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm hardly ever the one doing something for you. Yeah. Teach a man fish, right? Yep. Exactly. What do you feel like are are those goals that moms typically have? Um, a very common one is just managing exhaustion, overwhelm, anxiety, especially during the initial few months postpartum. And a lot of what we do is talk about delegating and um, setting boundaries and making lists and schedules of things that you can kind of offload and what you really need to be able to do and things that you really don't need to be able to do or that you personally don't have to do that you can give to someone else to do. Um, So a lot of it is realistic goal setting. A lot of it's like taking things off their plate and then also like managing their plate. Right. Realistically. Yep. Can you tell me about more like what exactly the postpartum period looks like Mm -hmm. and maybe why why it's such a difficult period so what people don't usually talk about is that when you have a baby there are role transitions that are going on so you have physically just gone through birth and that is a traumatic event for your body (laughs) you watched enough videos to know that right i've seen it (laughs) in Um, person and in video (laughs) Yeah, so you go through this trauma, and then you emerge responsible for this newborn that is completely dependent for your care. And the fourth trimester is the first three months after you give birth, and that is when your baby is essentially still growing as if it were inside you, but now it's outside, so it's completely dependent for temperature regulation and feeding and diapering and changing and bathing and emotional regulation and comfort and all of these things that people don't usually mention when you're about to have a baby. Um, And then so you're doing that, and then also you're emerging as a new person, and you're trying to figure out your identity as a mother in the context of your family. And if you have a partner or husband or wife or whatever it looks like for your family, your role with them is now different because you are both their spouse and the mother to this child. And so there's a lot of dynamics at play there in terms of um, where your time is allocated, allocated and where people may think you should be paying more attention and potentially resenting your partner. Mm -hmm. Um, So people don't really talk about that transition very much. Um, And so I'm really big on preparing mom for that transition before it happens and then walking her through it as it's going on. 
that's what I was going to ask next. Like, do they do typically do better the more prepared, like the earlier they start this? So the fourth trimester is the first three months after giving birth, but you're starting this process way before that. Yes. I like to do a prenatal visit at least one during the third trimester. Mm-hmm. And we talk about all of this role changes, transitions, potential goals, avoiding taking on too much, adjusting expectations, potential mental health ramifications that come up frequently and how to look for them, who to reach out to, um, to, to educate mom and the family on what her transition will look like in the postpartum period. So do you prefer to meet with the whole family? Yes, if that's um, okay with mom, then that's my preference. So you mentioned like the mental health side of it. Postpartum depression is a pretty big topic. Yeah. Are there any factors or is there anything that you see that you can see like puts this mom at risk for that? Um, yes, so there's a lot of risk factors and any pre-existing mental health um, scenario can impact that postpartum, mm-hmm. um, but also partner support, the way that they were raised or have seen other mothers handling motherhood, that impacts it. Um, nutrition, sleep, I mean, <laughs> everything. everything. And it's um, depression is really common, postpartum depression, but there's also postpartum anxiety and postpartum rage and postpartum psychosis and bipolar and OCD and all of the things that you don't hear about as often, and anxiety too. Um, And so it's a whole scope of different mental health um, things that moms might experience, and it can also oscillate between the different ones too. So you might be anxious and depressed and, you know, dealing with multiple at once. So it's just a lot going on. Yeah. How common do you feel like it is? It's pretty common. They're saying... I don't know the statistics with the pandemic. Mm, um, that's interesting. But it's somewhere between one in three and one in five women experience a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. Wow. Postpartum. And their spouses have the same rate. So oh. that's something that's interesting is that if you're, you know, for example, your husband is your support person, if they're suffering from a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, mm-hmm. which is just as likely as the moms, they can't help you if they can't help themselves like there has to be resources for everyone involved yeah I mean it's crazy to to talk about and to like hear this is so necessary like obviously this is so needed but you had to go out and like start your own business to be able to do this like this wasn't really anything that was offered to you right Um, but it's something that we like you hear about all the time and like you feel like this is so important why don't we get this in school why aren't there more people out there that are doing this? Do you feel like you've got a lot of this like mental health knowledge education in school? Yes and no. It was never formally taught. Um, we did take a kind of psychology mental health type course, mm-hmm. and it's definitely within our scope of practice. For there sure. are some OTs that work exclusively in mental health, and um, but never maternal mental health, never specific mental health, um, you know, conditions or diagnoses. So it was kind of dripped slowly to us, but I definitely had to seek out specific mental health, um, courses. Yeah. So what is your process like? Let's say I'm 
thinking about having a baby, like, would I go ahead and reach out to you or do you like to wait until I am already pregnant? I'm also not having a baby anytime soon. I want to put that out there. Let's say someone else is thinking about having a baby. Like, what is your process like with that person? Not me. So if you, if this hypothetical person. Yeah, I'm like, I have a dog. I promise I'm not pregnant. Reached out um, and they were thinking about getting pregnant. I would love to be kind of in the loop. The other thing I love is referring out. So I have kind of a network now of all different support people in all different angles. And I love referring out. If I'm not the right fit, I'll gladly send you someone who might be, or multiple people that might Mm -hmm. be. But um, anyway, so you would reach out. I would love to be in this process. And there are some things that I can do with you before the third trimester, especially if you have specific questions, concerns, you know, your friend had X, Y, Z happen. You want to prepare so that that doesn't happen, that kind of thing. And we can talk through it, but typically I reserve, um, second or third trimester, depending on the client, um, as the initial visit. Okay. So you go through the initial visit and Mm -hmm. what does that look like? It's in their homes, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I can also do that one virtually a lot easier. It's Mm -hmm. a little bit more of a consultation than like formal occupational therapy, but, um, we go through, an educational piece, so telling mom and family about what they can expect postpartum in terms of that mental, physical, psychological, all of the changes your body's about to experience. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and then also, I like to go around the home and do a little um, home modification edit. So I'll look at the changing table and is it raised high enough off the ground to be able to have functional body mechanics when you're changing a diaper a million times a day. I'm like, yeah, how many diapers are we changing today? Because <laughs> that could definitely get pretty tiring. Yes, lots. And same with, you know, where you plan to breastfeed most, if you have a recliner or a couch or whatever it is you're using, um, I kind of give you some tips for how to do that optimally and functionally. And of course, all this stuff can change, but it's nice to just have a rough outline of how things might look Mm -hmm. postpartum and then we also go through some goals so what would be important for you postpartum to be able to keep intact how do you like to practice self-care now and just get that all written down I think if there's a visual that people can reference it really helps because there's so much going on you have papers flying around postpartum Mm -hmm. you know this person gave you this paper and how many times do I do this a day and brochures um, everywhere yeah exactly so if you have something to look back on it's a lot easier Um, and then we make kind of a rough postpartum plan. So who can you reach out to for support outside of your house? You know, if the dog needs to go to the emergency vet, God forbid, who can take them? Mm Because you have a baby and maybe also a toddler. And we make a list of people that can come help. And then how to set up, you know, a meal train or freeze meals in advance so that you can have things and you're not starting from scratch postpartum. You have kind of a system set up to facilitate that transition. So it's, it's like a ton of planning. Yeah. And like, as you're talking, I'm thinking if you don't have all that planned out and like, I just bet you're, you're like incredibly stressed. You don't right. know what you're doing about anything because nowadays, like we're in such a rush, right? We're all so busy. Most women work now. Most women have like full-time jobs until, I don't, when does maternity leave even start? Typically, a lot of women, it depends on your specific pregnancy, but a lot of women will go right up until labor or (laughs) like the week before when they literally need to be resting. Um, Yeah, I have a friend that like anything that fell on the ground during a peed session, she would have the kid pick it up because she couldn't bend down and pick it up. Yeah. So it's just gone if it falls. But um, a lot of women go right up until their uh, 
labor or due date or as far as they can until yeah they so then anymore. you have a you bring a brand new baby home and you mm-hmm. you haven't planned any of this and let's say you don't have a spouse or you don't have a, a supportive partner and it's just yeah. you and then maybe you have another kid like I can see how that would be so incredibly stressful like emotionally physically um I know you have a dog. I also have a dog. That's my only experience of being a mom. And, like, getting a puppy was stressful. Right. And this is a... I mean, like, puppies can go potty, like, fend for themselves <laughs> yeah. for the most part. Um, but babies definitely can not. So a lot of what you do is also stress management. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned how do you practice self-care now. Can you tell me a little bit more about self-care, like, why that's so important, what it looks like in, in moms and, and new moms? Sure. Um, So it looks definitely different for each person. And when I'm talking about self-care, I'm not talking about like booking a spa day, which would be great if you could do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Realistically, um, you know, it's getting those little like nuggets of care in for yourself to acknowledge that what you're going through is tough and you're doing a great job. And if you can carve out five minutes to, you know, go on a gentle walk in the sun or you know light a candle that you like and listen to a song whatever it is for you that kind of brings you back a little bit to center and grounds you and um, helps just a little bit refill that cup that you're just pouring out Mm -hmm. for everyone else it helps you and it helps your family too because if you're just so burned out that you can't even you know think about doing something for yourself then it's in turn, a disservice to your family unit. Yeah, you're, you're pouring from an empty cup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's like the like the hardship of moms. Like, yeah, we all have moms. I mean, moms have it so hard, and it's also not it's not like a task that they don't choose to take on. It's like they like moms absolutely adore, love their kids, will do anything. Like the you know a mother's love. Like it is insane mm-hmm. to the point where their health becomes a detriment, like at a detriment to them. Um, and so like starting this off as soon as you become a mom or like before that, like getting the habits and the, the practices in place to allow like, well, in five years, like you're still doing these things in 10 years, you always need to be doing these things. Like people need to be doing these things. Yep. Exactly. Do you work with women after the fourth trimester? Do you like you keep up with them? You keep working with them? Yes, I can. Um, it just depends on the preference of the parent. Mm-hmm. Typically, um, postpartum, I'll do roughly three to five visits after the eval. And um, if a family wants to continue, then I'm more than glad to do that. My goal in the fourth trimester is kind of get in there, help you get to where you want to be, or at least in the trajectory that you want to be on, and then and then for me, unless you need or want more support, I kind of let you take the wheel and step back. Um, but I do gladly do support after that sometimes. Um, you know, starting solids is a time around six months. Starting solids. How exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a time, um, you know, that a lot of moms get very anxious. Um, and it's kind of an emotional, if you've been breastfeeding or bottle feeding and then you're starting table foods, it's just kind of an emotional transition of separating yourself from baby to feed them. Um, And then, of course, you know, I have a pediatric background, so I can help on that side as well. But, um, you know, return to work maybe, depending on the family, or just later down the road, like you were saying, if you don't 
figure out how to delegate and create boundaries and find time for self-care and manage your anxiety and stress levels, it's something that plays out again and again and again. So if you aren't able to carry over what we've done, I'd be more than happy to help. Or if we need to write a new plan, if things have changed, you know, or if you didn't see me postpartum and you think these services are relevant to you, it's stuff that keeps happening over and over and over again. I'm just thinking about like moms that have kids that are older that like would so benefit from this. Mm -hmm. I think you, you melded being a midwife, being an OT and working with moms, like in the perfect way because you're doing all like, you don't have to help people give birth. You don't have to wake up at 2am, but like you get to do all of these really cool things. I love it. This is like, I feel like it's so unique. Um, it's so exciting. Thank you. This, and you planned it all during the pandemic. Like you said, you were introduced to someone who kind of inspired you for this. And then Mm -hmm. like, what did that business planning look like for you? Um, well, it was very all over the place. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of, uh, Never had your own business before. Right. Like, how do you be an entrepreneur? You Mm -hmm. can Google that. Um, (laughs) but you know, I started figuring out different areas of maternal health and and women's health that OTs can and do work in. And then kind of weeding out the things that I thought that I wanted to do and maybe didn't want to do, or at least didn't want to do yet. And then I did a ton of cold calling, like uh, mental health physicians and public floor therapists and doulas and all of the kind of allied birth professionals. And I pitched them this idea and it just got more solid with time. People were like, Oh yeah, no one's doing that. That would be great. You know, you could also look into this X, Y, Z and either I liked that idea or I didn't like that idea, but it was really helpful to get feedback from people that were doing that kind of work already. So you just call people and you're like, hey, I'm Anna. I'm going to start this business. What do you think? Kind of, yeah. That's incredible. That's awesome. Good for you. Kind of. I mean, you know, we were in a pandemic, so like I had a lot of time on my hands yeah. for a couple of weeks and then things, you know, went back kind of to a normal work schedule for me. But um, during that time, I was so excited too. I would literally like wake up in the middle of the night and write something down and then go yeah. back to sleep and like, is it time to wake up yet? No, no, no. Go back, like chill oh, out a little bit. Like yeah. I was very excited, which like fueled this fire, you know, and pushed me to keep going. Yeah. I love that. I mean, when you're passionate about something and like when you're this excited to, to learn about it and create it, I think that's a really cool thing that a lot of people don't get in their Mm -hmm. professions. Um, which I think a lot more people should, but we usually don't have the time to brainstorm or like the time or energy to, to do all these things. Yeah. So when you called, so you, you said doula. What is a doula? Because I've heard this word. I thought a doula was a midwife, but I'm here to get educated today. So what is a doula? So they are not the same thing. Um, and I will say, too, that I am not a doula or a midwife. Yeah, so you are neither. my definitions with a grain of salt. Okay. But um, a doula is someone that advocates for the um, pregnant person and their family um, to be able to educate them on different ways that they can give birth and how they can do that in the setting that they want to give birth in. So mm-hmm. for example, um, you know, like we talked about earlier in the hospital on your back with your feet up and the stirrups and that's how you're giving birth. Well, a doula might say, just so you know, there are these other methods that have science backed, you know, research and here's some different ways you can do it. Or here are some herbs or essential oils or whatever it is that that doula kind of 
brings to the table. It's really about educating on different ways to do things because a lot of people don't know that there are different ways. No, I mean, I thought you just lay down on your back and the magic <laughs> happened, right? Right. <laughs> and it will if you do it that way, you know, but, there but no, if there's easier ways, ways to do it, mm-hmm. are those ways less painful? Uh, I think it depends on who you ask. A lot of um, doulas facilitate like water births or mm-hmm. home births. Um, and it makes moms, I think, feel a lot more comfortable being with someone who's done this a lot of times. Yeah. That isn't their doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also just an advocate. You know, if you say, I want unmedicated, and your doula is the advocate for you, if the doctor says, I'm pushing medicine because XYZ, the doula can say, that wasn't in our plan. Mm-hmm. And of course, the doctor could always override the doula, but. Um, you know, my understanding is that they're an advocate. They're kind of yeah. the go-between. No, I like the definition. Like, to have someone there by your side the whole time, like, advocating for what they know that you wanted and also, like, advocating what's what's best for you. Yeah. When you did, when you created this, when you did research for it, did you look into, like, how other cultures view this time period in, in pregnancy and giving birth? Yes. And it's very different around the world. Um, I believe in France and maybe more of Europe, um, pelvic floor therapy is just automatically prescribed postpartum. So just like you have a baby and you get pelvic floor therapy because it's that needed and that beneficial. Here, you have to like seek out a referral to get pelvic floor therapy. Um, similarly, we have a really short maternity leave. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which by the way is not a vacation. I'm just putting that out there. Like, oh, not. No. Um, but other cultures have much longer much much longer than we have um and then there are some cultural differences in terms of the way moms are treated or cared for postpartum some cultures they're supposed to stay in bed and everyone brings everything to them and like nourishes them and has you know nutritional like soups and things that are warming and sounds um, lovely good for you (laughs) (laughs) and then here we're like all right get up you know you're good so it's just it spans a lot and I would say we're definitely not on the progressive side of things yep we spend the most money on healthcare but we have the worst outcomes yeah right? and and birth outcomes are really bad in the U.S. high high rates way? of intervention high mortality rate it's really really bad if you look at the statistics um yeah like during birth mm-hmm. really yes like we have such high intervention rates you know naturally Complication. I don't know the statistics, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know, naturally, if you're giving birth in like a third world country or somewhere that does less intervention, the success rates are a lot higher. There's a lot less complication. But here, we're doing it in a hospital with typically a lot of intervention, and just statistically, it's it's not as safe. When you say intervention, what do you mean? Um, well, it could be c-section it could be induction it could be vacuum assisted it could be (laughs) didn't know that was a thing (laughs) yeah there's there's a lot of um, ways to get the baby out if there are complications and a lot of the medicines we use um, can slow contractions and make things progress less quickly Um, and so you know sometimes that is definitely needed and sometimes it's an emergency and I'm not bashing that but um, we use a lot of interventions that a lot of places don't use and that's reflected in the statistics too oh and that's something that is definitely not talked about oh yeah i did not know that we had bad outcomes for the babies yeah and the moms and the moms yeah Yeah. no you kind of think everything is just like sunshine and rainbows and here in the u.s but then you go look (laughs) at other cultures 
I always like when I hear that the dad gets paternity leave mm-hmm. too, because that's another thing is like, yeah, our moms maybe get like a couple weeks, but the dad's like, you have birth on a Monday. All right. You go to work on Tuesday, get your briefcase and right. you go. Yeah. And like, it's their baby too. It's, yeah. it's, and then it's left even more on the mom. Yeah. Exactly. And then you have a few weeks and then you have to start going, like, not daycare because they're an infant, but maternity leave is pretty short. And I do hear, like, in, in Europe, you get you get months or it's like, yeah, just let us know when you're ready to come back. Mm-hmm. Because giving birth is such a monumental, huge thing. But here we kind of view it as, like, just a regular old, oh, yeah, you gave birth last month. All right, cool. We'll see you at work tomorrow. Right. It's crazy to think about. Yeah. So business-wise, you this is currently like your side hustle. Yes. But do you want is the goal to eventually have this be like your full hustle? Because I know you yes. just opened in July, like in a pandemic, trying to figure it out. Yes, I would love for it to grow, to be my full-time thing. I'm really passionate about it. I love this work. Yeah. So what does your typical week look like now? Because you're juggling two jobs <laughs> um it's mostly um in terms of patient visits right now it's mostly pediatrics um but then i'm doing discovery calls mm-hmm. which is you know someone's interested in my services or you've heard about it and then we'll do, we'll chat for 15 or 20 minutes on the phone and see if it's the right fit for you um i'm also doing a lot of networking in the area to get my name out mm-hmm. and like this for like, example like this. yes yeah <laughs> And um, telling people about what I do because it really requires an explanation. You know, it's not just a title that's kind of self-serving mm-hmm. and it's, you know, I have to explain I'm an OT and kind of what that is and then let's go through what I do and all the services that I offer and, and it takes a lot of words to say it. You're really then, good at it though. You're really good at articulating it. I'm sure you've had to do it a million times. I have, but that's good. Thank yeah, you. you're doing great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a lot of talking to people and explaining that there are services that can be found postpartum and this is what it might look like and how I can support, you know, moms. I feel like in a few years we'll look back and no one will have to explain this title anymore. It'll be yep. kind of like cash-based. Obviously, like, we're in the bubble of cash-based, so I don't feel like I have to explain it that much anymore. But a few years ago, it was like, what's what's that? You're handing me a wad of cash. Yeah. And you are you are cash-based. You're a direct pay. I am. Was there... Is this even an option to have insurance cover it? Like, does insurance even cover that? Um, they do cover some of it. And billing is pretty tricky. And yeah. it turns into a lot of the clinician myself talking with insurance. And mm-hmm. that's not how I wanted to spend my time. Like, I would rather charge what I need to charge in order in order to be with you for the amount of time that we really need to be together and then the time that I would be with insurance I can use that to help more people I can yeah you know. and live your life yeah. for sure <laughs> yeah and not have to deal with someone sitting at a desk who has no idea what you do or what you're talking about exactly so now you're an entrepreneur so yes. congrats that's Thanks. exciting how do you make sure that you also practice self-care like you put yourself first knowing that you just create a business you have two things going Mm -hmm. how do you put yourself first that is something that I am constantly working on and reworking Um, it started out with one job through the week and then oh I'll just save everything else for the weekend Mm -hmm. and I did that for a couple months and then I realized like I'm never not working Um, and so now I'm trying to shift things more Monday through Friday and then um, really take time to do whatever it is I want to do on the weekend. So it might be 
I really want to get to the beach this weekend at some point. And then that's like my goal. And then I set my weekend up so I can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And another thing that's really huge for me is getting off my phone. Like that is one of the most restorative things. So I'll go for a run. I'll, um, you know, go out to the beach. I'll do anything that I can put my phone down. And that is really restorative. Yeah. Um, Working six, seven days a week, especially when you have this thing that you don't get to do until like all of the other work is done, but this is the thing that you're super excited about, but then like you don't have the energy that you want to commit to that. And then it's just like this feedback loop of you like never getting to like fully put yourself into it. And I feel like a lot of people kind of use the pandemic in a similar way that you did of like, oh, I have this dream. Like now I get to actually work on it. Yeah. And then of course we all had to go back to work. <laughs> right. 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 When I was figuring it out, it was like, all right, back to a normal schedule. Here we go. And by getting off your phone, do you feel like, like obviously you have an Instagram, like social media mm-hmm. is a beast. Yeah. Like creating content, posting, especially like you're trying to network, you're trying to get yourself out there. Yeah. How do you, like, how do you manage social media? How do you manage the content side of things? That is also a practice that I'm working on. Um, It started with this notion that you have to post five times a week and it has to be all original content and you have to, you know, make sure that you're using hashtags and all this stuff that I had no idea about. Like, my personal... What do you mean? No. And my, like, personal Instagram I haven't posted on since I started this business. Oh, wow. (laughs) For reference. Yeah. Um, But, you know, now it's, like, just post things that are meaningful and very intentional and something that comes to me, I'll just kind of write it down. And then when I have time to create it, I'll, I'll post it up and then sharing other people's stuff because you don't have to reinvent the wheel and other people are doing this work and there are really helpful things that other people are posting. So sharing that too. And, um, so I'm a little bit less active on Instagram now than I was before, but it's mm-hmm. definitely a learning curve. And just when you figure it out, then the algorithm changes. And then it's like, <sighs> the algorithm. you know, I don't know any of this stuff. I like don't have a business background and I'm learning on the fly just like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it can just be pretty daunting, but it's something it's, it kind of like feels like a task. And, um, like what's helped me, like you said, is to like, if I feel like I'm passionate about something, if something pops up, which is like always in the shower, right. Or like <laughs> right. 9 PM. Right. Yeah like write it down if you can and then come back to it instead of like trying to batch all your content on one day and you're like what do I think like what do I think about this yep so just you know things about like learning how to be an entrepreneur how to run your own business yeah what's something that you wish you would have known about all of this a year ago that it takes time to genuinely form connections with people and get the word out and um that, you know, just because you build it doesn't mean they're going to come and, um, you can do really meaningful work and still impact people. Even if there's not a line out the door of people lining up. Have you done any like workshops, like whether in person or or virtual to like talk to moms about this? I've done a couple and I have a couple more coming up in the spring. Um, so I really want to do some prenatal workshops and then a few postpartum workshops. Mm -hmm. The trick is with the pandemic, everyone is so zoomed out and mm-hmm. people sign up, but then they don't come. Mm. And so I think if I put a little like charge, you know, $15 or something small ish mm-hmm. on it, then people feel like they are getting more value versus just putting their name on a free workshop. And then you and show then up no and show no one's there <laughs> yeah. and you're just sitting on zoom looking at yourself and like yeah. no one's. Yeah. Has that happened? Yes. 
all times. But, you know, then I just go to the beach and it all works out. So, you know, it's like supposed to happen that way, I guess. But um, I can already think of like a few people that I want to connect you with that I think (laughs) doing a workshop uh, would be perfect. What's something that you wish more people realized or knew about pregnancy, motherhood? That it's tough for everyone and you don't have to do it alone. It doesn't have to be, you know, my services. There are plenty of people that, like in the Charleston area and just across the country now, that are dedicated to helping moms and families postpartum. And just because you're struggling and you don't see that other people are struggling does not mean that you're the only one. So there are other people going through the same thing you are and there's always someone that can help you. Awesome. And how can our followers, our listeners, find you and connect with you? Um, well, I'm on Instagram, yeah. <laughs> at, at Motion and Motherhood. And then I also have a website, which is just motionandmotherhood.com and also a Facebook page. But the best way, if you want to actually contact me, I'd say is through the website. And that would be like filling out a form, um, like a contact form, doing a console, and then figuring out a plan from there. Yep, exactly. Awesome. Well, Anna, this is incredible. Thank I'm you. excited for you. I think what you've created is amazing. Um, and I'm excited to see how it goes like in the next year to talk to you and have you booming and doing your thing. Thank you so much. Then I will maybe have the line out the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head on over to Instagram. Find us at Healthy Charleston. Leave us a review on iTunes. If you ever have any topics you want us to talk about or guests you want to bring on, feel free to DM us. Otherwise, thanks again.